Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 78. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week we're discussing the topic of millennials and salon compensation and benefits to find the best way to meet your new staff's expectations and retain a millennial employee. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salon's business and marketing needs. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning, Killian. How are things? Brilliant. So I just have to give you a big shout out because myself and Sinead from the marketing team were actually at the Saki Social Media Awards in Dublin last night. And lo and behold, Zoe Belilspringer just won an award for having the best blog content in Ireland this year. So I just had to get that in there right there. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I, I'm not so good at like receiving awards, but I, I do. It does go straight to the heart. Thanks so much. And thanks for bringing it up. You guys look fab. Ah, sure. Look. We had to do our bit, turn up, have a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this episode, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago and even like just this weekend, I was in New York and we were co-sponsoring the Artist Session Influencer Series in Soho with Modern Salon. But Modern Salon was also hosting another event a few weeks before, and that one was called the Data Driven Salon Summit. And that was its second year running, and it's the first summit of its kind for salon owners in the US, and to be honest, probably in the world that is dedicated to technology. So a lot of the talks that were there included a lot of like data backed up topics and, and, and things like that. And we have a really special guest on the show today that was at Modern Salons Summit. So do you want to have the honors of introducing our special guest today? So yeah, I'd like to, or we'd like to welcome to the show, Stephanie Fox Jackson from the Canvas Salon in Ohio. So welcome, Stephanie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Zoe was saying there, there was a few of our guys that were at the Data Driven Salon Summit last week. And while we weren't uh, personally there, the feedback came back to us saying there was a panelist there. We just have to get her on the show. She did this brilliant talk about <laughs> millennials. So Stephanie, do you want to just g give a bit of, I suppose, background to what was the Data Driven Salon Summit and what was your involvement at it? Sure. So the summit, um, as Zoe said, has the second year running, and it was really focused on helping salon owners drive their business through using data. And my involvement came because I not only own a salon, but I also have a consulting company where I work with salon owners who employ millennials. And that's most of us. And we have really felt the struggle um, in many cases, not just in the US, but around the world to drive performance in millennials and how we use data with them. So that's kind of how I got involved with the summit is speaking about our primary employment group right now. That's the generation that's making up most of our staff. I suppose just to jump into it for anyone listening out there, first off, what are millennials? Who are they? And what do people think they're like? Yeah. So the millennial, the age range varies depending on what data you look at. But most consistently, it's somebody that was born between 1980 and 1999. So they make up a good chunk of the workforce. In fact, a Gallup organization tells us that by 2020, they're going to be 50% of the workforce. I always find that when I talk to most salon owners, we passed the 50-50 mark a long time ago, um, <laughs> way before the rest of the world's workforce. So they are a force to be reckoned with. I mean, there's 80 million plus of them. And that's the largest generation to date in the workforce. Now, the generation coming next is actually going to be larger so that will present a whole new um, challenge for employers. But they're a big group and they have a different set of expectations because they've grown up with a different world than what their parents did. And that's true of every generation. But in particular, there has been this mass technological change that was really present in the life of a millennial 
primarily between like the ages of 11 and 19. I mean, things like the internet launching in their youth, you know, that launched in 91. So you, you could have been around 11, somewhere, you know, five to 11 years old and the internet shows up, you know, and then you get Facebook in 2004 and you get Instagram in 2010 and iPhones. And so they've just grown up with a different, um, a different life, a different access to things than any generation in history. And it's created employer challenges because employers feel like they want instant gratification and they feel entitled. And, you know, there's some truth to a lot of that. But what I like to think about is the psychology behind why they act that way, because the reality is, is they're going to show up however they show up. And it's up to us to figure out, you know, how we employ them and um, drive their performance in the salon. Of course. And like, what about in your salon? So how do you meet your uh, millennials expectations or even just, you know, in track with them? Because like, obviously you said um, you agree and disagree with certain parts of, of the whole like impression that people have of them. How do you deal with it? Yeah. So the biggest thing that I think is most important that I focus on in my salon actually begins with how I recruit my staff. Because, you know, you'll hear people talk about is it a millennial thing? Is it just a personality thing? Um, all generations have had their headaches. Like there's a lot of chatter in every direction, but the reality is, you know, you need to be employing the right people for your business and millennials are really looking for purpose and they're really looking for meaningful work. So I think it's the employer's responsibility. And I take this very seriously in my own salon to recruit people who align with who I say we want to be, you know, what do we value? Mm -hmm. So to do that, I make sure that everything from my job description to my interview questions really are lined up with the values in my business. So I would always tell any business that I work with, you know, you should have something between three to five uh, key values written out and you should be able to design your interview questions and, your, your job posting even should be attracting people who care about those things. Um, for example, in my business, we say, you know, friendliness is one of our values. So I'm going to make sure that I'm crafting questions to find out how much people value being nice, you know, to each other, to their team, to a, a client, to the boss, kind of all around. Mm -hmm. Um, so it starts there. So how you recruit. And then the next piece of expectations is how are you helping them grow? You know, millennials tell us in all the research that they pick a location to work because they believe that location can help them reach their goals. But what they also admit is they don't personally know what the stairway in between where they are to where they want to go looks like. They have no clue. So we have to have a real strong system for growth. And that's performance standards. That is a mentor, you know, someone to help them when times are tough and I think most importantly, it's someone to give them feedback. You know, when are you doing a great job and when could you step it up and try something different? So that's really what we focus on is how we recruit and then how we keep them growing in the business. So just on the recruitment side of things, then, because you're saying that um, it's trying to identify your own values and make sure they align with that, do you find it makes recruiting that little bit more difficult because you're not just hiring a skill set, you're making sure it's the right millennial that will fit with your brand, with your values, with your, your culture. Does that make recruiting that bit harder? Does it make it longer? Um, it can. It really depends on what the pool of applicants looks like. And 
you know, I personally spend a lot of time in the schools in my area to, I speak to them, not about, um, my salon specifically, I actually like to do little classes on how should they pick the right salon? Because I think it's a disservice to all salon owners to just hire whoever, um, the students don't know how to find the right salon and they might land there and realize pretty quickly it's not the right fit for them. And that's bad for all of us. You know, nobody wants to invest in the onboarding and training and starting a clientele build and then lose someone. So it certainly can, but, um, you know, your, your gut kind of tells you, uh, this is not the right person. And I think the worst mistake that salon owners can make is to be in a pinch where they need somebody and they ignore that feeling you know, because that never works out. It always turns into something that's not great a few months down the line. Yeah, we've heard loads of stories about that, like hiring under pressure and just, yeah, filling in a gap. Yeah, yeah not good. <laughs> <laughs> in your salon, I'm curious, percentage wise, would you say there's like 50% of millennials working for you or 75 or even 25? Just curious to see kind of the breakdown within your own business. Yeah, we are 90% millennial, myself included. Wow. Okay. So is that that's an actual preference for you to go with millennials then, is it? It's not necessarily a preference, but it really is the workforce. You know, if you think about the age range of a millennial, um, you're anywhere from 38 to, um, you know, 38 and younger. 18 is kind of the cutoff now for Generation Z that's coming next. So if you're between 18 and 38, you're technically classified as a millennial. So you think about who attends cosmetology school, you know, a lot of the students coming out are 18 to 24. So that's really the workforce. So I suppose without giving anyone's age away there, um, so you're saying it's kind of about 90% are millennials. Is there much of an age gap then between the other 10% and or were they there before kind of millennials were coming in? Do you find if there are any kind of difference between the age gaps? Um, so my other age range, um, they're in their mid 40s. And even I have a mid 50s team member. And, you know, it, it's funny because as much as I study millennials and work with teams to build higher performing millennials, I am very much of the mindset that humans are humans and we're all looking for the same thing. And most importantly, they're looking for some kind of connection. Um, millennials in particular, the reason they show up so differently is that when things feel difficult in their work, they have social media and everybody they've ever met in their life, including strangers that they've never met, all of their lives look prettier, right? It looks like their life is easier and better. And so it's very easy for the millennial aged person who's only known this crazy technology around them to really be able to think, oh, grass is greener over there, I'm out. And what you find with older generations is that they grew up in a time frame when that wasn't the case. They didn't have kind of their life on a highlight reel um, and everybody else's life on a highlight reel. So they oftentimes have a little more ability to recognize this is a hard time for me, but it doesn't mean I should jump ship. Um, now, that's not always the case. I really don't think it's just a millennial thing. I think it's a people thing we want to be connected to. And um, I certainly, especially my, my team member that's in their mid-40s, um, she can act, you know, if I was going to stereotype her, very millennial sometimes. <laughs> you know? And she's not a millennial. <laughs> so you don't find that there's any kind of, um, I suppose, friction or difficulties between the two there? No, you know, I think in my team, um, 
because we really work with strong values and like I mentioned earlier, you know, friendliness, I hold that very strongly in my business. I know a higher based on that. And if people are out of line from a value, then we have feedback around it. And so I think it comes down to if you're the owner, are you really good at being candid and having, if necessary, a tough conversation? Otherwise, people will take over and you certainly could have difficulty from one generation to the next. Um, Even without generation, just from talent level, you could, and I've experienced this in my own salon and had to, to work with teams on it where my senior stylists are frustrated with the entry level stylists and they're all millennials, but maybe entry level stylists are not really picking up the slack, you know, and, and shop duties is always the cleaning piece is always the conversation. It seems like, um, so I think the leadership in the business has to be able to step in and help guide that, or it will become a divide, whether it's about the generation or just the tenure in the business, you know, that's just natural. I think people get this territorial, uh, component to what they're doing at work. So I think that's where leadership's really got to watch it and make sure they help guide those conversations. So you're just talking about leadership, Darren. One thing I wanted uh, to see was kind of, we'll get into the compensations and benefits a bit more into the show, but what I really want to know is the motivational factor. Like, how, how do you drive motivation in your salon? Like, do you actually allow your staff members, especially the millennials, to have more reign in your business, more kind of like a stakeholder role in your salon? Yeah. Um, in some ways I do. I, and this comes from my research and my personal preferences as a millennial, you know, the days of a business that's kind of a hierarchy where there's a boss that gets to be the, you know, end all be all decision maker. Those days are really gone. Um, millennials really want to be part of the conversation. They want to feel like the work they're doing is meaningful. They have a purpose there. They can be heard. And so what I do in my business is, I share very transparently, you know, whatever we're working towards or on, or, you know, it could be something as silly as talking about schedule changes um, with the whole salon, you know, maybe we're extending hours and I want to get everybody's feedback and pulse on it. I really include them in those things so that they feel like they're not just being told this is the new way. Um, And certainly people in my business kind of surface to the top that become my people I really rely on to go to, but I I pitch most things to the whole team and I encourage them to have peer-to-peer conversations, have peer-to-peer accountability, and and certainly to have transparency with me that there's always an open door to talk about things, which gives them a sense of being part of something bigger. Um, There's certainly financial opportunity in a lot of salons to actually be a legitimate stakeholder, to have a percentage of ownership in the business. I don't personally do that, um, but I know that's one of the growth paths that many businesses are choosing when they've got the profit margins in their business to make those choices. They're they're choosing that as a retention mechanism. I mean, like you're still giving them enough kind of responsibility to pitch their own decisions, their own ideas, their own processes, like you're saying, even right down to when do we open and close the doors? Because if anything does become a bit of an issue, you can always turn around well, you were involved in that decision process. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like you agreed to that. You actually like came up with that idea yourself or whatever it be. You were involved from day one. It wasn't me turning around going, this is how we're doing it now. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example. I have um, three 
kind of senior staff members who just in the last month have come to me because they wanted to talk about what we call our back bar charge. And it's a percentage that comes off of the service before the commission is paid out. And it helps cover the cost of hair color and shampoo and all the the supplies. And they wanted to know why is it what it is, which we personally use the 10% metric, which is pretty standard. And they wanted to know, you know, how was that money spent? And is there any way to reduce that? And, you know, they wanted to have conversation about it. And so we, we did, we had conversation and, and we came up with a plan for when they might be able to have that reduced based on both the business needs by looking at like our PL and based on what they really feel is fair. So we kind of met in the middle. Interesting. I, I want to touch back on something that you said about the money as a motivational aspect. Do you find, whether it is within your salon or uh, within your research, do you find it always has to do with anything money related or actually the benefits and perks are kind of something that people find more attractive? Like, where's the line? Um, My personal belief is that everybody fits into two buckets. And I call those buckets your kind of financial and growth bucket and your culture bucket. And I think of it as, you know, we each have a foot in both, you know, like we're, we're straddling these buckets and at some points in our careers and in our lives, we care more about the culture that we're involved in. And there's some points in our lives where we care more about the, the growth opportunity and the money. And in, in the hiring process, I think it's important for a business to really know what type of employee they need to be attracting. You know, for example, a startup really needs to find people who are going to be so in love with the culture because there's not a lot of money to play with. Um, somebody that has maybe been in business for 20 years might have more financial perks to offer, but everybody that you're hiring is going to f- have some weigh in on both of those. Cause we all care about both. And so it's about how we recruit the right ones for our business. And then once they're in our business, we have to be able to be open with them about where we are and where they are. And that's what we're goal setting, I think, comes in and, you know, offering a, a kind of variety that overlays the whole business that at least gives everybody a little bit of perks financially and a little bit of kind of some cultural pieces, whether it's flexible scheduling or um, team kind of outings or, you know, in my business, we do what I call a gratitude practice where the salon actually has kind of a fun way of saying thank you to the entire team every month. We do it once a month and it's it could be something like a gift card to Starbucks. You know, we might pick a $5 gift card and just write a little hand note to everybody and say, thank you. Sometimes we bring in lunch that month. Um, we do silly things. We'll buy like donuts and say, we don't know what we would do without you. Like we just pick something fun every month and we just say, thanks. That's kind of cool because like it's, it's something different. It's, it's not just, can I have a salary raise the whole time? Because um, when we sat down with our education team yesterday, uh, our education team, they've all come from the salon industry and we were working with them this week to compile some of these questions. And it basically came down between two things and it was like money or freedom and flexibility. So the fact that you were saying kind of those little quirky rewards, it just adds that third element. It's not A or B. Just to bring it back to the A or B though, have you ever found your your new staff looking for the likes of uh, more flexibility and freedom for benefits yeah do you mean like their schedule 
Yeah, I mean, like kind of maybe start earlier, finish earlier, or maybe like take a half day on a, well, I'm going to say Friday. I, I know that's not realistic, but maybe take a few hours off earlier, some one day a week, um, rather than giving them a pay rise. Do you get me kind of every year? Yeah, um, I think that's a big thing that people are asking about when they're getting hired, you know, and I see some people still show up and they're like, I want to work. I want to work as much as I can. Um, and other people show up and they're like, I want to work 30 hours and these are the days I want to work. And so I think what's important for the business is that the owner or the manager, whoever's making those decisions really is super solid on exactly what they can do. Because if you're not solid on what you can do, then you're going to end up saying yes to something that's going to hurt your business, or you're going to say no to something that might hurt your relationship with an employee. So, you know, I think being open to being flexible is essential in today's salon world. You have to be flexible, but you can have conversations like, you know, I would love to meet you in the middle with having half a day off on a Friday realistically, we could make that happen every six weeks. We could move to more, but this is where we can start. You know, like you've got to have that negotiation open at least. Yeah. I mean, like even that, that's, that's a great benefit in itself to have. And the reason I asked the question was because I kind of found it funny where the younger side of the team were all saying, oh no, I'd much rather have more money when I was in the salon. But then the older side of the team were saying, I would rather have a couple of hours off a week here or there, um, which kind of nearly brought it into the, to the debate, or not a debate, but a conversation of, have you ever noticed, um, I suppose, younger people looking for more money and they'll work more hours, but then as they get older and start kind of settling down, they start going, all right, well, maybe a bit more uh, flexibility, less money, but then as they kind of I suppose, have settled and have family and getting older again, it starts changing again. So do these benefits and compensations, do they change with age? I think that that is something I see all the time. Um, Somebody that is new into their career, that's really money motivated because they know that they have to be right. They need to start making an income. And that first year in a salon is a real financial struggle. You know, you're, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, that first year, you are hustling to to make enough money to feel like you're comfortable. And then things really can change for you after that first year. But um, definitely, I see people in my business, and this is going to depend on the growth rate in a specific location, but by about three years in, two and a half years in, they're starting to want to make schedule adjustments because they feel like, almost like they're making more money than they've ever made. And they kind of forget or don't realize that there's so much more potential. So they say, Oh, well, I want that half a Friday off or, you know, and I think it's again, up to the leader to really have a nice coaching conversation around when it's the right time to make schedule adjustments, because I think it's easy for the millennial to get to the place where they feel like they're making so much money, but really they're not making that, that much money. They're doing great. They're making more than they've ever made, but there's still so much untapped opportunity for them. And if we let them dial back too soon, um, they can hurt themselves. And so I'm just open and honest with my team about that. And I do definitely make uh, exceptions as people's life changes, because I think as people have children or get married or, you know, just have big life changes, they're either more available or less available. And I find that working with that 
helps retain staff versus pushing against it. Um, I have a stylist who was one of my educators who had a daughter two years ago. And, you know, for about a solid year, she's like, I can't participate in education, like in terms of teaching, it's just too much. And I'm like, great. I totally understand. And now she's like raising her hand again, like, okay, I'm ready. I'm bored. I need to get back involved. So I think if you work with those people, they really appreciate it and respect you. Yeah, off the, the work-life balance kind of topic, I was having this discussion recently uh, with someone and it was kind of like, we both kind of had the same stance on, on some some certain aspects of it where we were focusing very much on our career and, and this and that. But at some point, we also understood that um, some other people would rather have more time off or, you know, time to focus on their family and things. Now, there is some sort of like this this trend around work-life balance that it's like it's almost seen as like if you don't have it you're 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 like weirdly imbalanced or something and you shouldn't uh, <laughs> I just do you know do you know what I mean like it's it's like yeah, it's like there's like a big there's like a huge stigma almost around it where I just think that it's a choice you know if I want to put those many hours into building my career and pushing and pushing and then when I do reevaluate my life I don't know like I'm I don't mind saying it, I'm 27, going to be 28, but like say at 35, if I have a kid, maybe I will want to like slow it down a little and like actually focus more on my family and stuff. But like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel the pressure of needing to have a work-life balance if I don't, if I actually find comfort in being imbalanced. How do you manage that? Because I'm sure it happens all the time. Yeah. Um, I think it's a case by case basis. I think that in my own business, I just kind of have some set standards that we can't really adjust, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm open to conversation for all people based on where they are in their life at that time. And so I have some team members, for example, that want to work four days a week and they'd rather work a long shift and just have those three days off. And I have other people who would rather work five days a week and they're fine. And I have some people that want to work part-time. And so for me, it's about offering up any and all of those options as long as we're open about what works for the business and what works for them. And that it's always about both. It's never just about them. And it's never just about us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you have to take the business into account, but you still, you want to retain your staff. You want to retain your team. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I try to do my best, you know, if somebody comes to me and they say, for example, I would like to have one Saturday off a month, you know, but if I don't have enough staff to accommodate the business that would be lost on that one Saturday a month, then I can't say yes to that. But what I can say is, okay, here's when I would be able to say yes. So if you can help me get us to here, you know, maybe we need two more staff members and maybe, you know, this typically comes up with people that are in like leader positions or education positions. And I can use that to kind of leverage if, if you're willing to help me get somebody to our new talent level and through the training, then I can say yes to that. So let's work on it. So essentially you have conversations one-to-one with these people. Do you base these accommodations on how long they've been in the salon or how long they've been in the industry or it really doesn't matter about the experience or the, the, the number of years, but more so about um how willing they'll be to actually give to your salon when they're in work? Yeah, I think it's a mixture. Um, 
there's certainly conversations that really aren't available to somebody until they're at a certain point in the business, like having a Saturday off. It just, it doesn't make sense for the growth of a new stylist. So you probably need to be between three and a half to five years in before giving you a Saturday off with consistency. Of course, vacation is different or requesting off, but to actually have that part of your schedule, um, is not going to be a conversation we're going to entertain too early in your career. And I'm going to help you understand why that is. But I definitely think that what I think is most important is how they show up. And are they, do I feel like they care at the level that I care? You know, are they willing to invest their time and their energy or is it all about them? Because if I'm seeing the, like, this is really all about me, that typically becomes somebody you're not going to retain long-term because it's always going to be, how are you, how are you making them happy? And I always caution that kind of leader layer in businesses that we are not responsible for our team members' happiness. They are. And all we can do is create, you know, the best environment we know how and be fair and, you know, try to create a model that allows for them to grow and proves that they can grow. And then they get to decide, you know, is that something I want to be part of or is that not something that I want to be part of? Yeah, you, you essentially got to, like, you have to earn your place first before you go uh, <laughs> asking for days off here, there, and uh, benefits left, right, and center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's still that, like, boundaries there. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, Stephanie, that's been absolutely brilliant. Um, I suppose just before we wrap up the show, do you have any, um, I suppose, advice for a salon owner who's either a new salon owner or someone who's just taken on their first wave of millennials, or even if they're having that first kind of tough conversation of, uh, all right, what do we do with compensations benefits? Like, do you have any kind of advice or first tips for salon owners to take there? Yeah, I would say that most important in growing a team of millennials is that Number one, back to the hiring, you need to make sure you're hiring the right millennial for your business. So get very solid on who you want your business to be, like what energy and feeling do you want to come from it? Um, What do you value and create all of those questions to interview around that so you recruit the right people. And then once you get them into your business, you need to have a growth path. You need to be able to show them, you know, this is level one, this is level two, level three, or however you label them but they should have goals and expectations in each of those levels. So it's never kind of a guess when I can get promoted or how it's very clear. And in order for a millennial to grow through your system, you have to be willing to give feedback. So if you have this great growth, you know, benchmark for how they can get there as their leader, you need to be candid and you need to give them advice and suggestions and, you know, feedback, even if it's hard, because that's the only way they're going to go through your growth path. And if they're not moving through your growth path, they're not hanging around. So I think that, you know, find out who you want to hire, recruit for those people, get them in, show them how they can grow, and then be actively part of helping. Well, listen, Stephanie, it's been amazing having you on the show. And thanks very much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Thank you. So that was Stephanie Fox Jackson from the Canvas Salon in Ohio. And she was just shedding some light around the whole compensation and benefits for millennials. So this new wave of staff coming into salons. And for the second half of our show, it's our award-winning blog content writer, Zoe Springer. Oh God, just showering me with, <laughs> with compliments here. Um, so we have a few things coming up. 
Our first webinar being the Salon Instagram Masterclass on Monday, July 9th at 10 a.m. UK and Ireland time or 7 p.m. Australia uh, Eastern time. So for US salon owners, we understand that this time doesn't exactly suit. So there's another option for you when you sign up for this webinar. So uh, just follow the on-screen instructions. Our second webinar coming up is the Ultimate Salon Reception webinar, which is a brand new webinar that we're running. It's about creating your signature reception uh, because we all know that reception is the heart of your salon. It's often the first and last touch point for your clients. But how do you get it to perform on a level that can actually grow your business? So it's a two-part series. Uh, The first part is on Monday, July 30th, and the second part is on Monday, August 6th. I know it's a little while from now, but better sign up and put it in your calendar straight away. And so those two webinars, July 30th and August 6th, are both at 3 p.m. UK and Ireland time or 10 a.m. US Eastern time. They are both an hour long. And if you want to sign up to any of these webinars, all you have to do is go onto our Facebook page in the events section, find the webinar of your choice, follow the link to get tickets. Um, The tickets are free. It's as usual just to save your spot on the day. And once you fill in your details, you'll get a link in your email to sign in on the day. So that's it for us today. If you have any questions and feedback, you want to let us know who you want next on the show, feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. We're always looking for suggestions on how to improve the show. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best.